Hello and welcome to Watch Party Lord of the Rings, where we look at Tolkien through the lens of adaptation. I'm your host, Michael. And I'm Jen. And we are here to talk about episode four of The Rings of Power. A spicy one. This is our hot takes episode. Um, and it was pretty good. I think it was pretty good. Case closed. A solid episode. A good, solid episode. Not the greatest of all time and not the worst of all time. Uh, <laughs> boy, that's like a pretty wide range. <laughs> you staked out. <laughs> I no, I also Man, I'm controversial over here. I know All what you're getting at though. I know what you're is. getting at. It's uh it was a solid episode. It kind of felt like a filler episode a little bit to me. Like mm-hmm. that was my yeah. that's my hot take. After like immediately after watching, I was like, yeah, it's kind of a filler episode. Not a lot of stuff that blew my socks off. No like huge revelations. Thinking back on it, like there is some meaty stuff in there that's interesting and reveals oh, a bit, yeah. but it's uh you know, it's not like the first two or three episodes where we're getting introduced to new worlds. So it's not big in that sense. Um, and so we're just kind of continuing on with the existing, the characters that have already been introduced and nothing serious has happened because, Hey, it's only four episodes in. So nothing serious should happen. Um, but this is midway. This is the midpoint Four episodes. This is halfway through the season. Wild. Crazy. Can't believe we're already there. I know, I can't believe it either. I mean, some important things definitely happened. We got to meet Adar. Yeah, finally. Finally. And then we had a real turning point with Queen Muriel. Change of heart. That was, you know, that was surprising. That was interesting, Um, yeah. Didn't see that coming. I wonder if maybe the reason that I um, didn't have as as solid a reaction as, oh no, I had a solid reaction. It was not like uh, uh, I wasn't, you know, falling out of my socks with excitement. Um I had a lot of those uh, Numenorean margaritas. I was overflowing with. <laughs> so you were sailing the high seas, yeah. indeed. I, I did. I've done, been doing pretty good. I've been making all the food and all the drinks that we've done so far. Although I think I made a mistake with our uh, our menu this week. Not a mistake. They were both good, but it was very carb heavy. We had mm. uh, like Bilbo seed cakes, so it was basically like a really dense poppy cake, like really pretty dense. And uh, but delicious, but cake, and then also Welsh rabbit, which is basically grilled cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, again, delicious, but I was like, oh, I'm having it's like bread on bread tonight, but and with like with the mustard, I felt like that really adds yeah, a lot. It was so it, it was like uh, it's like old timey uh, beer cheese, basically, because mm-hmm, there's literally mm-hmm. beer in it, and there, there's the mustard. I actually walked away from the thing, like, I'm probably gonna make this again in the future, yeah. Because it's not that complicated, actually. No, it was really easy. I mean, the weirdest thing is doing beer in the in the saucepan. So, like, you know, you basically got to drink a whole beer afterwards because you only use a little bit of it. But that's not really a negative for me. <laughs> no, it's positive. Bonus. Yeah. Bonus, bonus. Yeah, I hope you guys are all enjoying making the recipes again. You know, send us your photos, hashtag Foff Watch Party, and you could be featured on our live stream or our mm-hmm. Instagram or our Twitter. We are giving away an Eldar Millennial shirt every week to at least one person who submits a photo of their home watch party. We always pick one. And uh, this, this shirt, I'm really excited that we got this shirt going. It's a nice black shirt with uh, our logo on it and the fellowship of fans logo. We kind of like mash them together and do a super logo. And it says Eldar millennial on it, which is like a callback to one of the first jokes that I really liked that we made on this podcast where we defined ourselves as Eldar instead of elder millennials. I mean, I guess we are elder millennials, but we're really Eldar millennials. And uh, so I really like that. Slap that on a shirt, and we're giving it one away every week to someone who sends us a picture of their home watch party. One lucky, lucky winner. Um, yeah. But yeah, curious to hear what everybody thought about episode four and 
mostly curious to hear what you thought about episode four, Michael. Let's get into it. One, one last thing about food before we get into episode four. Uh, an unintended byproduct of this thing that we're doing where we have different episodes each week. You know, Liquor and Lore, they're giving us like really cool little cocktail recipes. Mm-hmm. As a result, I have to buy new bottles of booze every week. <laughs> and actually, the seed cake recipe this week had brandy in it, which obviously I don't have brandy because I'm not like a 1940s, you know, English detective. Like who has Smoke brandy? Smoke a cigar. It's <laughs> <laughs> so weird. So I have all this alcohol in my house now, which I'll probably have for the next Wait, decade. Does this mean we need to have like an ultimate final watch party where I actually come to you and we do together like drink all the drinks? We should do that. We, I I think okay. that would uh, result in our death by the end of the episode if we drink all the drinks. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we should definitely do that next time you're in town. Um, you know, An visiting ultimate watch party. Or something. That would be really great. It would be great to do one in person. Um, and we could make a dent in my liquor cabinet which now is like weirdly stocked i'm gonna try an experiment with the next drink so the next drink i'm going to go to a bar with the recipe uh, oh, a local bar and say go. hey would you make this for me i will extra tip you whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. you like could you whip this up for me and i'll drink it there and i've taken during covid they were doing cocktails to go i discovered this certain places started doing it and i think certain places just kept doing it so there's a chance I could make a way with a cocktail as well. But if not, I'll just drink it in the bar. That's awesome. I mean, cocktails to go, that's like the alcoholic's calling card. But with COVID, it made it totally normalized. Oh, I did it <laughs> for sure. I would like yeah. have a cocktail and do the book club that I was in. It was great. Virtual book club. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a great idea. I mean, you do have to like get out of your house and go to the bar, which is a bit of a hassle. But then you don't have to buy a full bottle of tequila that you're never going to exactly. drink. Exactly. Yeah. Because yeah, I'm not, we're not huge hard alcohol people. So that's been my one thing. Like, I don't want to keep buying all these big bottles. So I'm going to try that. I'll keep you guys posted on what happens. I'm actually going to do it this coming week. I like that so idea. So stay tuned. I like that idea. You have to post a pic about it too. Well. Oh, I will. Should I film the interaction or film him making it? Maybe he'll let me or she <laughs> will let me film them. Yeah. They'll making. be like, what? What is this? Why are you filming me? It's for our Lord of the Rings podcast. I know. Okay. So I just don't. I have no shame anymore, though. <laughs> like <laughs> people yeah. ask me about my hobbies. It's just out in the open now. <laughs> Loud and proud people. Yeah. Loud and proud Lord of the Rings fans. Nerds. So, uh, all right. This episode. What do you want to talk about first? Um, I liked, uh, I'm going to talk about the part of it that I liked the best, which was Adar. I loved getting to see Adar. Yes. Even yes. just the opening scene where we rejoin Arondir and he's standing there with like... <gasps> Those orcs standing when the camera in front pans of him. up oh. and they're all there. Oh, I love that shot. I love that. So shot. good. Yeah. So good. Yeah, they're knocking the orcs out of the park for me, and not just the prosthetic design of the orcs and like the look of them, but also the cinematography, their use of camera and sound um, during all the orc scenes. It's really creating a unique feeling for me when I watch it. It's not like the other scenes, and I, I like what they're doing there. So, uh, you know, ten out of ten for the orcs. I think maybe even beating out the dwarven scenes for me, you know, which are like a 9.9 out of 10. I really like all the dwarven stuff, as you know, but the orc stuff is just so spot on. Oh, it's so good. And Hadar, Adar, he's just such an interesting character. Took me by surprise this week, big time. Big time. I mean, who do we think he is? I think he's, I th- well, one thing I think he is, is a big sweetie pie. See the way he was just lovingly caressing that orc and the way that orc was 
smiling up at him, you know, like he sees Adar. It's like he sees his real father, like Papa, you know, he said Adar. He was so comforted. And Adar, Adar, I don't know how you say it exactly. Okay, so he mercy kills him, which, mm-hmm. you know, is that a nice thing or not? <laughs> but um, he is, tears up when he does it. He is genuinely sorrowful that he has to say goodbye to this orc. And it's that was really surprising to me. There's like it's love. It's the first time we've seen tenderness associated with so orcs. Weird. It was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I like the theory that this guy is Meglor. Is that how you say it? Me- Meglin. Meglin. Yeah. Son of uh, Eol, the dark elf. Yes, he's obviously an elf, the ears. Yeah, right, right, right. And he has the hand that's been burned by the Silmaril. Oh, that's, okay, so you're thinking of, um, uh, uh, yeah, one of the sons of uh, Feanor. I was thinking of uh, someone else, sort of the, the nephew of Turgon in, uh, in Gondolin. So that's a whole different story. That's another theory. There are a lot of different theories. But a yeah, lot I of like, theories. I like that one too. One of the sons, sons of Feanor, his fate was, so the, the two last living sons of Feanor, they do actually get some Silmarils. One of them, you know, chucks the Silmaril and himself into the fiery chasm and throws himself into lava, basically, into the heart of the earth. And the other one throws the Silmaril into the ocean and then... I, th- I think we're not actually told what his ultimate fate is. He's just said to be like walking the shores of, of Middle Earth forever, like singing a, a sad song. So he, that character is actually really interesting. So there's a son of Feanor who is still alive. Theoretically, we don't know what happens to him. And um, he burned his hand, as you said, on the Silmaril. So Adar noticeably has one like sweet ass glove on and the other mm-hmm. hand is, is, is ungloved. So like, why does he have one glove randomly on on one hand so uh, people have for that reason linked adar to that character of who oh i mean like if you burn your hand why do you have to wear a glove i don't know maybe it hurts forever it's super tender that's misshapen yeah yeah so i've i really doubt it's that character although we continue to be surprised about how much first age stuff gets put in there like the tolkien estate keeps giving them permission stuff yeah Mm -hmm. um so that's that's interesting. Um, so Wizardway Chris on Twitter, who actually was the recipient of one of our shirts, he won our tw- our uh, Twitter trivia challenge. We do trivia every Saturday. Um, put a question like a really deep cut from the the last episode. We do a question about it, and the first person to answer basically gets a shirt. And um, they won the trivia last week. They had a interesting theory on um, yesterday, I think basically the, the day the show aired that this was, and I, I'm messing up the names. It's Maglin or Maglor. I can't remember the names of these elves ever. That's my like weakness. But um, basically the, the nephew of Turgon and Gondolin, Turgon's the king of Gondolin. Um, his sister, Eredel, marries Aeol, the dark elf, and they like live in the wilderness. And Aeol's actually kind of a jerk, and they end up kind of being captives. Um, they being Eredel and their son, Maeglin. I'm pretty sure it's Maeglin. And uh, Maeglin ends up going back with Eredhel to Gondolin, but the darkness of his father kind of seeps in to his soul, and he, like, falls in love with his cousin, Turgon's daughter, Idril, but Idril's like, ew, you're my cousin, so I don't want you, and then Maeglin gets really jealous when uh, Tuor comes around, and Tuor and Idril hook up, 
Uh, they end up siring Yarendel, but Maeglin ends up betraying uh, Gondolin, the location of Gondolin, to Morgoth. So he falls under the service of Morgoth because Morgoth is like, hey, if you tell me where Gondolin is, um, I'll, I'll get you Idril, and you'll become the king of Gondolin. I'll give it all to you. Obviously a lie, but Maeglin is susceptible to such things and ends up betraying the location of Gondolin. Um, and then, of course, Morgoth sacks Gondolin. During the chaos, Maeglin tries to kill Yarendil and take Idril for himself. Yikes. Yeah, super dark. And he ends up um, getting in a fight. Like, someone intervenes. I think it might be Tuor that intervenes and stops him. Um, I'm a little hazy on that story. But uh, at the com- at the end of that fight, he ends up getting, you know, cast down from the side of the mountain because there are mountains, like there's a ring of mountains that encircles Gondolin. And uh, he's like cast down and he hits the mountainside three times and he's presumed dead. So he's supposed to be dead. That's the idea. But I, the theory is, well, they never recovered his body. And so it's not, you know, there's a sliver of hope that he could s- still be alive for the purposes of this theory. So maybe he gets picked up by Morgoth's forces and is in his service ever since. So that's the mm. theory that this is Megalin. And there's all this, all, a lot of other interesting nuggets, like his um, his colors and his banner it was basically black. He would wear black armor. The people in his house, he created the House of the Mole because um, his father didn't really have his own house or banners, wasn't a part of the community. So he created his own house called the House of the Mole, all black. Obviously, Adar is decked out in all black. So... Mm-hmm. Um, there's some there's some interesting that connections. Fits. Yeah, I really am excited to get more of Adar's backstory. I really liked his scenes. I thought that the actor Joseph Malde, I think that's how you say it. Was I've so... never said his last name one time. I always end up stumbling over going Malle. Malle. He was so good and perfect. The dialogue was really minimalist, which I thought was great. But it was so full of information. Right? Like I loved when he said. I'm not a god yet. Right, you know, right. like I, that makes me cues you into the fact that I'm sure he's obviously like fallen in with Sauron and Sauron has probably promised him, you know, some kind of that he'll become some kind of deity if he right. does X, Y or Z, because we know that's what Sauron does. So, right. yeah, I'm excited to learn more about this guy. And I think it was really smart to have him meet another elf and watch yeah. that interaction go down. And they kind of bond a little bit, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Aranir is obviously not Bond, but like Aranir is so confused. Mm-hmm. You know, he c- clearly recognizes this is another elf, but he's so confused by that. And um, he asks Aranir, Adar asks Aranir where he's from, Balerian. I thought that was interesting that we got confirmation that he's a Balerian elf. So not like the far east of Ari. He's probably one of the Assyrian green, green elves. Also, I didn't know if they were going to be able to reference Balerian because they took that part off the map in like the first episode when they showed all the elves coming over from Valinor in the first age, the map of Middle-earth didn't have Balerion, even though it would have had Balerion. So I was like, oh, okay, I guess they can't include Balerion or references to Balerion because it's first age material. Maybe that's a rights thing. Um, but I think now they probably just did that because they didn't want to confuse things and confuse people. Mm-hmm. But uh, with, with like a map, the first introduction to Middle-earth showing Balerion when the Middle Earth that we're going to have in the show has no Balerion. So there's like, all right, we'll just make it the second age map. Um, and, but it's cool that we get a reference to Balerion. And there's all, probably all kinds of information we could get from uh, Adar's question about, well, where are you from? And Arendir says, you know, by such and such river. 
And Adar mm-hmm. says, oh, I've been there one time and describes yeah. the flowers. I, I'm i sure that we could go deep and I'll have to spend some time on this. This is a hot take, so I haven't had a chance to do that. But um, trying to figure out where in Beleriand that would be, what river that would be to really pinpoint Arendir's home and where he's from. So that's if any Sherlock Holmes uh, wannabes out there want to tell us the answer to that question, please email us. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm I'm similarly really really curious, but uh can't can't wait to see that storyline unfold more. I feel like the um the evil characters and the dark storylines are uh really really heating up for me. Do you think that they're going to I mean on the tenderness, I keep I felt a little whipsawed in a good good way with the tenderness between Adar and the orcs. And uh, I was whipped out after the fact. In the moment, it didn't feel wrong to me at all. Like, it didn't feel wrong. But I keep thinking about it because we've never seen anything remotely like that with mm-hmm. our orcs. And I, this is something we talked about. We devoted a whole episode. Um, you were out, but with the uh, reading Tolkien pod guys, uh, what's the narrative function of the orcs? Um, you know, based on the metaphysical backstory of the orcs, like, could we explore them being potentially more victims and having a sympathetic side? And we kind of felt like well that's not really their purpose in the narrative that would be weird mm-hmm. but we get just a we do get a taste of that here you i know, think these we're getting just enough like they don't loving want tenderness s- i mean it's it, yeah. it was so loving it was like genuinely loving yeah fascinating yeah they've humanized the orcs more than anybody else has yeah a lot of like culture on their end um very interesting dialogue yeah very they're still firmly stuff. antagonists like firmly oh, evil. yeah but- definitely yeah, yeah, definitely. But it's good I, stuff. It makes them more compelling. Um, so to far, watch. yeah, it'll be a so tightrope that they have to walk. Like you know, if they go too far down that that road mm-hmm. of uh, you know making them sympathetic, then it could be dangerous and kind of screw things up a little bit. Screw up the balance of the narrative. But um, yeah. so far, I've really liked everything that I saw. And there's an interesting moment between Arendir and Adar, where you know Arendir is grabbing that arrowhead or whatever it is, that piece of metal. And then he has a one on he has one on one time with Adar. Like he has every opportunity to try and kill Adar. To kill him, yeah. And why he, do you, it looks why like do you think he, he decides not to. to? Why do you think he decides um, not to? Because he's going. You know, I think because he had no hope of getting out of there if he killed him. Right. If he killed, he was going to release him and said, "Go back to the village and deliver this message." If he had killed him, he'd have no chance of getting past all right. those orcs because none of his friends could. You know, even when they escaped, he, they were shot down. Right. I th- and I think it's as simple as that. It's kind of just self-preservation. He was afraid of mm-hmm. dying. And so yeah. And when Adar said, I'm going to let you go, then he's like, well, I'm not going to like basically kill myself Screw trying to kill Adar. But I also, I wonder if there was some other layer there. So like when I read Tolkien and I read interactions between characters in Tolkien, there's always this feeling that there's always a battle of wills, a struggle of wills, you know, the, the kind of relative power levels of the characters. That's like a clumsy term and i don't like to use it but that's kind of what's going on where they can kind of sense the the um i mean i'll just keep using it. they can sense the power of the other character like even when frodo comes back home after all of his experiences he's matured he's been elevated right he's been ennobled so much so that like when he interacts with sharky's men and um and even with saruman like they recognize some sort of inherent authority in, in Frodo, you know, his voice and his bearing and, and the other hobbits as well. They recognize there's something different about these these hobbits just by their bearing. And so, like, in their interactions, there's there's this really subtle push and pull and tug of war of wills. 
And so I always try and watch interactions between characters for that type of thing. And I wonder if that's kind of what was going on here as well, that hmm. Aranir felt that Adar had exuded some sort of some sort of power, some like an old authority that Aranir recognized he was beneath. Um, you know, so he was like int- intending on killing Adar, but then just kind of realized I can't. I'm like I'm not going to be able to. If I try, I'm just going to be totally outmatched because this Adar is is so much more powerful than than me. Yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be more to that relationship. And I think there's going to be more to the relationship between Adar and other elves like Galadriel, right. for example, which is why I think he might be, you know, tied into that family in some way, because there's so much more that clearly so much more than meets the eye there with that guy. Like he's got a story to tell. Yeah. Well, and one interesting side note, if he is Miglin, that means he tried to kill Elrond's dad. Hmm. So then we could get a nice little confrontation between Adar and and Miglin. That'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. So anyway, probably a long shot. I think there's actually a decent chance that it's going to be nobody. Like nobody that we could recognize from from the wider Legendarium. Like nobody that's been named where you can pinpoint their history in the Silmarillion. It could just be like an old corrupted elf and that's it. And mm-hmm. I think I'd be fine with that, right? Because if it is any, if it's any of the options we've talked about, Miglin, a, a son of Fa- uh, Fanor, like... It's going to break some lore a little bit. It's going to be bending the rules, and that's always going to rub some people the wrong way. And so, you know what? I'd almost feel like just make it a whole new character um, so we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> They've done that, that a lot already. I mean, yeah. we met we met two brand new characters. We met Kemen, this one. Um, and, yeah. we, you know, he has no basis in the lore. Um, but still, I think he added something. Yeah, you, know, you want to like, talk about huh. Kemen? I liked Kemen actually a lot. <laughs> I, was, I liked yeah. Kemen. I yeah. liked that he was um, such a nice foil with his father. His father mm-hmm. saying, "Well, cleverness is for weak men. Like, mm-hmm. be wise." And you know, Kemen is this sort of quick, witty, clever guy. Even when right. you see that with his banter with, um, with uh, what is the gal? Iarian. Iarian. Thank you. Um, and she's also invented, so she's another totally invented character who's, right. who's, you know, more shall be revealed. I still, I think maybe her architecture will become a focal point at some point. Right. But right now I'm kind of like, okay, here she is. Not sure precisely what purpose she's serving, but. <laughs> I mean, of course, people are speculating that the, uh, you know, she would become one of the architects of the tower, uh, to Melkor once Sauron gets his, um, ah. hooks into Farazan and they turn there to we go. More, uh, Melkor worship that you know they build this massive tower I think that she'll have something to do with that right or else if they're going to choose any job mm-hmm, it's not mm-hmm. random there's going to be a reason no. for it so I agree with that theory I think that's probably she'll, she'll have some connection to that right well the Numenor plot line was great for me this episode I really loved all of the stuff in Numenor yeah. I mean there were some things obviously didn't love but i thought the whole like what like what uh not so obvious to me what, what um, you like? i think we should do a whole new segment for that <laughs> oh really <laughs> this is a new segment i'm calling um i could write it better than that i know how to make it sound better <laughs> oh, all i'm man. asking is for one little chance baby i could write it baby you know dixie chicks <laughs> 
Chicks. Now, oh, They're I just know. the chicks now. I got that reference. And I okay. feel like you just submitted your uh, resume to Amazon. That's your application. Okay. Okay, there was a couple of those moments for me. I'm sorry. Overall, I thought, okay, so there was some great moments of dialogue. Mm -hmm. For example, her speech at the end, Muriel's speech at the very end was perfect. Right, I liked it. It was great. It was the rallying cry. We must decide who are we. That was great. That was right on point. Obviously, I already said the Adar Adar dialogue was perfect. Right. Um, A lot of it hit the right note. There are just some moments, a few cringy moments. Um, few cringy moments. One was when Muriel says, "We gather and hammer out the oh, details." Yeah, yeah. Hammer out. I was like, "What? No." Okay, right, so right. why not just say we gather to decide the fate? Decide to like. There's so many other words you could use. How do they not recognize so many that other verbs? Room? It's like that's a euphemism. That's that's a turn of phrase that. And so, like, I think when they're writing, they need to make a point to identify all the turns of phrase that are included in there and think, like, is that a modern turn of phrase or does yes. it have some basis in historical context within the legendarium? Yes. Oh, it's a modern turn of phrase. Let's take it out, please. Scrap it. Just go ahead and axe it. And the other time that happened was, okay, so we'll get to all these scenes. We can unpack them in a minute. But um, with Durin, he, when he is complaining to Disa about his father and he says sometimes i wish they wouldn't sometimes i wish they wouldn't like in the hands of a lesser actor that just would not have worked at all like his delivery was good but saying well sometimes i it almost sounded like pouty <laughs> and weird and modern well, sometimes Which, i wish my dad wouldn't do that yeah like oh it just <laughs> see that just it drives me crazy stuff like that details i didn't notice that. I, mean, like that I guess it's a, a testament to uh, owen arthur's acting skill because i didn't well that's what i'm saying is sometimes like these actors are so good that sometimes i credit their delivery you know with yeah. the reason that this show is so good i mean there right. is some good writing don't get me wrong there's absolutely right. good great moments but those were the two most egregious ones. And something else noteworthy. Um, did you notice all of the lines that were so almost verbatim straight out of Lord of the Rings? Jackson films? Well, I noticed one for sure. There were scattered, two. Scattered. Leaderless. Scattered. Divided. Leaderless. Yeah, she right, didn't right. say divided, but she said right. scattered. It was close enough. It was clearly a callback, which I liked. I'm down, I'm down for like a callback here or there. I liked that too. Yeah. And then the other one was They Are Coming. Arondir says they are coming. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that? When Where the orcs are f- coming after them, when they're no, running no, I mean in, the in Lord of the Rings. We're- oh, when they're in, um, they are coming. The goblins in the in the in the um. Tombs. Oh, in the mines of Moria. Mines yeah, yeah. of Moria. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I forgot about that. But that's like okay. That's a generic enough line that I I didn't catch it. Like they are coming is I'm okay with that. But, but he said it scattered, just like that. That's true. They are coming. But scattered and leaderless, that definitely caught my eye. So I have a line that I didn't really like. Let me jump on this bandwagon. <laughs> let's just let's just dump all over the, the episode, even though I actually really liked it. I liked um, it too. <laughs> but we got to get this out of our system, right? We gotta this get is it. our segment. I could write yeah. it better than that. So um, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so at the end of Farazon's speech, which I really liked Farazon's speech. I thought it was compelling, and we can talk more about what he was doing there. Um he gets up on the, you know, climbs up a few steps. He's in front of the door and he's, you know, his speech has reached its crescendo. 
And he goes, drinks all around. Drinks all around. Yes, thank uh. you. I was going to mention that one. I was like, also, it was so weird. It didn't fit at all because it was all of a sudden like, wait, how were you prepared for this moment? People just came out of the wings with wine glasses. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Around. I was like, come on. It was so like manufactured. And then they were right. all clapping. That scene did not right. work for me at all. And, and it's like the explanation, I guess. For there being drinks ready, it's like, I think it's pretty clear that Farazon manufactured this whole situation. Like, I think the guy who was the rabble rouser, he was actually... Uh, oh, sure. In the first scene with Farazon, they were buddy-buddy in the throne room, right? Mm-hmm, they were mm-hmm. they were chatting with each other, so He's clearly... He's a schemer. He's a schemer yeah, for sure, I think, positioning himself. Yeah, yes. I think he told that guy to do that while, you know, Farazon would be off somewhere else. Uh, mm-hmm. And then obviously Farazon would hear about it and he'd come in and save the day. And so I think it was a totally manufactured situation. So if you if we accept that it's a manufactured situation, I guess you would say, all right, well, then he planned also to have drinks at the ready. But that would seem so suspicious and so bizarre to anybody in the situation. Like if you wanted it to seem real, you wouldn't have drinks at the ready. It was just. It yeah. And saying the phrase drinks all around. Yeah. 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 Again, Another anachronism. Doesn't, yeah. Drinks doesn't all work. As yeah, much as yeah, I yeah. like drinks all around, uh, I didn't like the <laughs> actual use of the phrase. Yeah, but I mean, okay. So other than that, um, really liked the f- the f- the reveal, the big reveal of Muriel finally divulging. Okay, this is the reason why, you know, we are opposed to the Elvish ways and the Elvish culture. Like I was, I was satisfied that they finally revealed that it was different than what I thought it would be. Um, Wait, but I what was the reveal? Well, she, when Galadriel goes to her father's bedchamber, yeah, and she says, "You know, my father wanted us to be faithful to the elves. He wanted us to return to those ways, and we had a revolt on our hands, right? And realized that we can't, we can't ever turn back. You know, we have chosen oh, okay. a different path, and I have to carry out the will of the people. That's essentially right. her position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought." Man, I love watching her on screen. I love Cynthia Adai Robinson. I just think she's so great. I watch anything she's in because I think she's pretty phenomenal. Um, I thought that scene was great and the scene with the Palantir. All of that I thought was really good. And um, her Interesting of- that there are only seven. Palantir? Yeah, well, uh, okay, so it's not that much of a surprise. So we don't really know how many Palantir there are. It's kind of left open-ended we know that there are seven that go to middle earth that elendil takes seven with him to middle earth when when they escape so somehow elendil is going to get this palantir from muriel and i assume elendil has the other six that muriel said were mysteriously missing um you know lost or in hiding uh so i think we'll we'll hear a little bit more about that I, i think elendil or elendil's father will have the other six palantir and that they'll be hidden in uh in in romena but um in this silmarillion or in the texts that talk about the the palantir it's unclear whether or not there are only seven on earth because the elves give the palantir to the numenorians in an indeterminate number all we know is that seven make it out with elendil so i always imagine that there were a bunch more that there were like way more than seven throughout numenor that there were probably way more obviously back in valinor <clears throat> and but here uh, Muriel saying, oh, there's only seven in existence in, in Numenor, at least. So that's kind of interesting. So that means Elendil is going to get his hands on all seven before they escape the downfall. Mm. So, yeah, I, I, I thought the yeah. scenes with the, you know, where the Palantir shows the waves washing over were really cool and well done. Muriel's vision 
Um, it's very which... interesting that Muriel's vision. So it's she has that in a dream, mm-hmm. right? So clearly, I don't know if she was having the dream anyway. Also, a nice nod to real life Tolkien and Christopher Tolkien, both of whom had dreams, like recurring dreams about a wave washing them away, uh, which is part of why J.R.R. Tolkien wrote about Numenor and created his own Atlantis myth because he was plagued by a recurring dream about it. And I didn't that, know that Christopher Tolkien had that too. That's really so, bizarre. It's so bizarre. And actually, um, my initial thinking would be like, well, J.R.R. Tolkien probably told his kids about his recurring dream and then that like caused into Christopher their to psyche. have psyche. But apparently he never shared it. He never shared it with, with any of his kids and didn't know that Christopher was having the dreams until like much later. So Christopher had been having the dreams for a long time. And then eventually as adults, they like discovered that the other was also having this recurring dream. Oh, so wow. really, really fascinating. And I think it was a nod to that, that the showrunners mm-hmm. decided to give Muriel this dream, um, which isn't necessarily something they had to do. But so anyway, Muriel has a dream that is the same as the vision Galadriel has when she looks in the Palantir. So I'm not sure what to make of that. Like, you know, did Muriel see it in the Palantir first? And then she, that was my assumption. Yes. My assumption is she sees it. She knows it's going to happen. It's always like, you know, in the background of her mind. And so she has nightmares about it. Essentially. What do you think of the choice to reveal the ultimate fate of Numenor upfront like this? The thing is, only like the casual fan doesn't know. The casual fan doesn't know that that ultimately happens. You know, that's well. And there's I guess, so and that's much... why I was thinking, why would they then hint at it so early? Because you're right, like the casual fan's not going to know that that's Numenor's fate. So why have in like episode four of a of a fifty hour TV show, you know, the one of your main protagonists saying like. This is Numenor's fate. And actually, like, Galadriel said something like, uh, this doesn't have to be its fate. And and Muriel said, it is already it its is fate. Its like, fate. It's, it's already well, happened. Or I think something. there's so much other story that it's okay. Like, there's so many other storylines, you know, mm-hmm. that we're going to see play out that it's okay. That this one, because we're going to see characters that escape that fate. We're going to see all these other plot points in right. Middle-earth. And playing with prophecy is interesting. They do this a lot in Game of Thrones, right, where there are prophecies and people make major life decisions around this around prophecies or what they think the Mm -hmm. prophecy means. And it ends up, you know, their interpretations end up being wrong in surprising ways. And um, which is ultimately like, you know, it's a mistake to try and base your life around what you think a prophecy means. And I think we'll get a bit of that in in this show as well. Well, we saw Muriel already interpreted it in quote unquote the wrong way and she changed her mind she decided that they would rally and fight in middle earth but initially she was going to cast this elf send galadriel pack in and you know keep peace with the people but now we know this is the beginning of the end for her because she's chosen to stand with the elves and she's going to have some very unhappy campers on her hands yeah we're not going to be happy with that decision and she's going to ultimately lose a lot of credibility and a following because of that so Farazone can just slide right in there it is amazing like the way they've set it up her decision to go with Galadriel just from like a purely political standpoint is an insanely stupid move like it's ins- like so dumb but she's convicted like you can see that she's yeah. she feels like an ethical I love that moment where she turns right. back in the tree you know the leaves are the petals are falling from the tree and she re-recall what she says that it's the tears of the valor. right 
I liked that. I, I thought that was no, that I, really worked. I agree. And it's more Tolkienian. Like, you know, Tolkien doesn't um, celebrate political expediency, right? He, he mm-hmm. celebrates making like the brave and ethical choice. Right. Um, and that's kind of what Muriel's doing here. But I'm just, I, I can't help but observe that it's so obvious that something bad is going to come of it because she lives in a world where her father, the king, was basically deposed due right. to rebellion over <laughs> the whole elf, elvish issue. And one elf shows up on the island and the people start freaking out. Um, and almost, you know, there's more riots just from one elf being around. And then she's like, you know what? I'm going to raise an army in order to follow the elves. Like, I'm shocked that people went, like, decided to go. But, okay, let's accept the fact that there are enough people in Numenor that are willing to go. She's now taking all of those people who are faithful with her and away from the island, leaving all the kingsmen all their own devices. Yeah, (laughs) like like a politically just... Yeah. Uh, it's like you're taking all the good guys to a war where half of them are probably going to die and you're going to come back like with this a has happened force. in real life before oh yeah. no i'm not going to oh, screw yeah. up another like european history reference so i'm not <laughs> even going to say which what i think happened but yeah. <laughs> like this is a familiar story this has actually yeah. happened before C- can you uh explain to me actually what happened in the moment when galadriel starts sailing away and then Muriel's on the dock. She sees the leaves or whatever, like whatever it is that happens. And then the next thing we see Muriel's like back at the castle, giving a stirring speech or in the towns where giving a stirring speech, raising an army to follow Galadriel. Like what happened in, in that? Like was Galadriel really on the boat sailing away? And then I don't Muriel think changed we saw mind? her get on the boat. Did we? Okay. I don't, I don't remember. I think she was about to get on. Or okay. Ma- okay. I'll have to go back and watch. We don't know. Like maybe she said, stop. Oh, I don't right. know. She probably she stopped her. She clearly she, intervened she and had her, a change of heart. And then it was like, all right, let's let's head back. Let's go back to the town square. I'm going to make an announcement. Basically. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna go. Ra- yeah, or maybe they talked, had a private audience. They had a lot of. I really enjoyed the scenes between those two. I thought I thought they were great. Yeah, and yeah. I love that she got thrown in a jail cell. I loved that. I loved when she yeah. locked the guards in instead of like beating all the guards up we had a leak at one point that she would beat all the guards up right but instead we didn't see that we just saw her like throw them in a jail cell that was great i thought yeah. that really a very subtle was scene funny. wasn't over the top at all i was yeah it was waiting funny. for like galadriel parkour was what i was expecting when i heard that and leak, i'm so glad is... we didn't get that it was just yeah. like listen i'm smarter and stronger like boom you know it was funny yeah what do you think about you know farazan in that in that moment he's the only one who doesn't get thrown in the cell he draws his sword, but doesn't attack. Does he look afraid? Is he being cowardly? Is that and does that feel like Farazon to you? I mean, how did Farazon feel to you in that particular moment? Ah, uh, I need to go back and watch it and pay more attention. I mean, strategic. He's a strategic guy, you right. know. And so I think strate- he was thinking like he can't do anything apart from what the queen commands at this point. She's still like his alpha and that's going to change really soon. Like he's mm-hmm. going, I think, I think it's going to change obviously very soon. But I think he is always at this point waiting and watching and holding back. He's not like making overt moves. He's making sneaky moves, you know. Right. So he wouldn't harm her. Well, but not even harm her, but like detain her. He didn't try and detain her. Hmm. Uh, the reason I bring this up is um, Clueless Fangirl on Twitter was uh, not happy with that scene because she felt like, and I guess um, she's expressed 
previously that this version of Farazon doesn't feel like Book Farazon. He's kind of like frumpy and doesn't feel like the the great hail warrior that frumpy we kind of are presented with in the books because Farazon is a, a warrior. I mean, well, he like was. A, I mean, he's older. Yeah. He's not I'm old, with you. but he's past his prime. I'm with you. I'm with you. It's like he's you know, past he, I don't his think prime. I think he stopped doing push-ups and crunches. You know, he still knows how to handle a sword, but he's not in uh, prime fighting shape. No. And uh, and I think he, you know, he did start to draw his sword, and it was Halbrand who held him back. So I don't think he was being a wuss in that particular scene. Like, it, no. if you were watching that and felt like, oh, Fer- this Farazon isn't the tough Farazon that I imagined in my head, I think he was, like, ready to do his duty and try and stop Galadriel. But Halbrand was like, hey, bro, you don't need to do that. You know, it, and Halbrand actually, which is interesting. Halbrand totally betrayed Galadriel there, right? You think he totally betrayed her? Well, he tells Farazon, um, you know, you know, what are you doing? Or I wouldn't do that. I forget the exact dialogue. Um, I wouldn't do that. And Farazon's like, well, I can't just let her go. And Halbrand says, well, it'd be easier if you knew exactly where she was going. Or wouldn't it be easier if you knew where she was going? Oh, and, and then, he tells... And then he tells Farazon. And that's why... When Galadriel shows up in Tar Palantir's chambers, Muriel is already there, and Muriel says there's a garrison of guards outside. Like, right. they're ready for her because ah. Halbrand told Farazon. Another, like, clue into his character, which is that, like, he has a shysty side. And yeah. she, after this coming, after she pleaded with the queen to fight on his behalf, like, I, I, was, mm-hmm. I was speaking to her to fight for your people essentially and he then he's like i don't care about my people i want to stay he doesn't care he wants to stay on the island yeah like he's ultimately very self-seeking it was also kind of a moment for people who like the halbrand is sauron theory right because Mm. we get halbrand in jail just as sauron is in jail after um, farazon captures him and uh he's whispering advice into farazon's ear and he listens to it right that was a very oh my gosh i mean i do not think it's sauron but I no, me neither. Think he, but I think he's going to the dark side for sure. But it's just an interesting parallel. Oh, that I, is yeah. that would be a surprise, you know. I it hmm. would, you know, the only thing that keeps that theory alive to me is just the idea that maybe the showrunners really just want to misdirect us. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it would make no sense for it to be Halbrand, and then therefore that's why it is Halbrand, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, it, they're they're like, we're gonna break some lore here to try and surprise everybody including the book fans so that's that's the only reason i think it could be a true theory otherwise it just doesn't match up to me it doesn't make sense but well before we move on from numenor we should probably mention isildur um isil 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 yeah they shortened his name um you know the only noteworthy thing there i think was the voice calling to him again whose Mm -hmm. voice do we think it is is it coming from I've, i've got my mind made up about that Okay, let's let's hear it. It's his mom. It's his mummy. It's his mummy. That's what I think. I, you know, when I first heard it, I thought it was, you know, one of the Valar or Maiar, uh, right? You know, one of the sea gods, um, Ose's wife, who uh, all the sailors in Numenor worshipped because she would calm Ose's tempest, right? She would calm uh, all the raging waters, so they would worship Nienna. And I think we get, not Nienna, um, oh, I'm on the name. No, Olmo's the big, big boss of the sea. Ose's his right hand. Uh, and Ose's gal pal. I can't, it starts with an N. And there's actually a statue of her. I'm pretty sure it's a statue of her in the prison, but I can't remember. Anyway, I was thinking, well, maybe it's her. But I'm now 100% on the 
the voice in the water is Isildur's mother train because they've put the death of Isildur's mother and Elendil's wife. It's right at the emotional center of oh, both yes. of their arcs, right? Yes. His and, friend mentions it and then gets punched. Yeah, like it's, right. it's right there. They mm-hmm. keep bringing it up. We know that Isildur is kind of struggling with his place in the world. Does he want to be a sailor? Does he want to go to the West? He clearly to, to doesn't want to be a sailor. He like sabotaged yeah. it very right. intentionally. Right. So I, I think that, you know, we're going to discover that his mother was so firmly in the uh, among the faithful that he's kind of hearkening to her memory or wanting to honor what he thinks her memory is, mm-hmm. which is like, I, I want to go back to the West. I don't want to be with my brother. Like his brother, I'm also, yeah. I'm also guessing that he, his brother is, you know, firmly among the faithful. I, I think that's what's going on there. So I've, I really think it's his mother. I don't think it would be just like a random That makes Valar. a lot of sense because it's clearly like spellbinding when he hears it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I would, I would agree with that. Um, personally, I haven't found that particular storyline to be all that interesting yet. So maybe, you know, I'm sure it'll tie in later with like, okay, we get to see the faithful. What does that look like? Yeah. What, who, who are they? What are they right. about? And that won't pay off till the second season because we, sure. yeah, we won't know from, you know, outside the show that Anarion won't appear until the second season. Mm-hmm. So if Anarion is among the faithful on the west of Valinor, the west coast of Valinor, uh, well, Numenor, that means we're not going to see the faithful until mm, season two. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I'm fine with that. Like, let's, yeah. let's take that slow. Let's take it slow. Numenor is not going down for a while. That ship's so going to sink. So, one other thing that made me laugh um, when the guy who was sort of rousing the rabble with his uh, discontent about the presence of the elf, the th- <laughs> that was another example of like dialogue that didn't work for me. Not because it was written poorly, but because the substance of it didn't jive. Uh, he was what he was complaining about is like we got an elf here. Before you know it, we're gonna have a they're bunch of elves. They're gonna take your jobs. Take your germs. They're gonna take your germs. <laughs> they don't well, sleep, and they'll take. You know, it's like, uh, really, we're doing a take our jobs type of thing. Like, are the Numenorians really worried about that? I. It was just. It just felt like I. I just was hearing South Park take our germs. You know, the whole time. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention much to that scene. I think they're trying to be like relevant. Oh, we hear this rhetoric all the time. The other, there's a lot of, you know, examining our relationships with other cultures in this show. Cultures yeah. intersecting. And so I think um, the showrunners have often done that, you know. Well, um, it's just interesting. Pointing that- out the clashing cultures and talking about the other and the fear. Yeah, that they haven't really Kalen. satisfactorily explained why the Numenorians hate the elves. Like, I they agree. haven't explained why. That was something the newbie panel brought up, and I was and maybe like, it'll come up to explain it. Yeah, maybe it'll come up, but it's you know it, it's far more um, nuanced and interesting in the books, right? Because it, it, yeah. it's like you know about it their makes fear more of death sense and their desire the for mortality. Yeah, and in the show that they've given us ostensibly, especially for the newbies, like the, they've given an explanation and the explanation is the elves will take our jobs. <laughs> That's the closest thing to an explanation they've gotten. So like newbies would be walking away going, all right, I guess they hate elves because they don't sleep apparently at all. And- they need to, yeah, they need to emphasize they're jealous of their immortality. That's the whole right. crux of the issue. They live longer and yeah. they have I mean, act. it's believable that if, okay, let's say like that's the core reason. That's the real reason is they're jealous of their immortality. For sure, that would express itself in all kinds of ways. Like on the ground, 
you know, if you hate someone or you're afraid of the other, you come up with all kinds of rationalizations and But that's how they chose them. to depict it, just like exactly. one person saying They'll take our gerbs. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully so, they shore yeah. that up a little bit in the right. coming right. I think they have to because Farazone's gonna It's the center of there. the They the, have the to moral center of the whole show. So they have to get that Precisely. right for sure. Precisely. And I'm not saying they're on the wrong track, you know, we're just pointing out little the yeah, it could be the, the very armor, beginning. There's a lot that's good. I love that they're using the Isildur's mother and Elendil's wife and her death. Mm-hmm. They're going to ex- use that to explore the whole mortality theme. And I think, actually, oh, this is something that I think is really interesting. So Farazon, they haven't talked about it, but I'm assuming he's a widower, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we haven't seen his wife anywhere. No reference to, to Kimmon's mother. Mm-hmm. He has a son, so clearly he, you know, he had a wife. Let's assume he, he got married and that Kimmon's the you know, his trueborn son, right? Um, so I think Farazon's a widower, which means both he and Elendil are widowers. So in that way, they're, they both experience the same loss. And I think the show is going to contrast, like use that similarity to contrast the ways that they deal with grief, mm. right? Um, we haven't, you know, got in, gotten into that with Farazon at all, but we know it's going to be an important thing for Elendil, like the way he's dealing with grief and dealing with that loss and how do you move forward? Um, and, you know, he's going to be conflicted about, well, he's obviously sad about their mortality. He's dealing with that. But how is Farazon going to deal with it? And I think we'll see that he deals with it in a very different way. So having them set up as sort of mirror images That's to great. each other. Yeah, I, I like that choice Ooh, by the showrunners. Very smart choice. Yes. And yeah, again, I think they're doing a lot right with this show. You know, I'm intrigued by every storyline. I like the yeah. mystery. I like that everything, you know, we've still got pieces and nothing's quite come together yet. I think that's that's going to keep people watching. Um, yeah. But let's get to the dwarves, your fave. Yeah. What'd you think about it? Um, You know, I really liked it. I appreciated that the friendship was at the center. I thought there was a little bit of cheesiness in some of those interactions but i liked the reveal of mithril finally that mm-hmm. theory confirmed yeah. um loved the lamentation to the to the mountain to release those trapped when disa's singing oh and the transition you know when arondir is um when they're chased by the orcs and they get into the field and the the sun breaks through and you hear then you hear Disa singing before it transitions oh, to that scene. Yeah. That was perfect. That was beautiful. Like a beautiful cinematic moment all around. Um and so yes, when we see Disa sing and that limitation, um, that was perfect. And I also loved the interaction between the two Durans, father and son. Mm-hmm. That was really beautiful and really poignant. Yeah. Um Swearing an oath was that was that, was a, right? that was a really interesting tidbit um, that he swears an oath that he will never reveal mm-hmm. this information that he has that they have <clears throat> this new substance that they've discovered. I think that very soon, very soon, um, we're gonna see that Elrond is in a sticky situation in more than one respect. Um, what's the, that, what's that, the other respect? He stepped on some gum. That yes, he stepped on gum while he was down in the mine. Um, that he no, yeah, we saw that in the trailer. That Gilgalad is going to ask him to break his oath. Right, he's going to have to break his oath at some point. What do you think the odds are that he breaks it? 
Oh, man. I mean, he might break it and it will have terrible consequences for him. I mean, the con- so first of all, we know that oaths are serious business mm-hmm. in Tolkien's mm-hmm. lore. Like, you know, it has real consequences. They have real power, you know, binding power. And so mm-hmm. he swears an oath, you know, ha- Durin says, hand to rock, you break this oath, you, you and all your house will experience sorrow for as long as you're in Middle Earth. And those are real consequences. And mm-hmm. Elrond's like, you know what? I'm going to take your oath and I'm going to raise you in Arendelle. I'm going to swear this oath on the memory of my father. And father. I was like, oh, no, no, don't invoke don't do Ar- Arendelle. Too much, too much. Um, I mean, all his motivations are pure, but he doesn't even know why. There's so much Elrond doesn't know. He doesn't even right, know why right. is he <laughs> building this whole, this, uh, you know, why is he on this whole project commissioned by commissioned by Gilgalad, commissioned by Kellum Rimbore. He doesn't even know. And right. so that's going to get really sticky because will Durin think that he knew when he finds out right, right. the true purpose? I mean, there's so much there that's just going to blow up in coming seasons. So I have a theory. So I think Elrond's going to break his oath. I think he's going to break it. Yeah. And here's why. That would make sense. Elrond in the Third Age gets married. Sad. Oh, yeah. Gets married. What happens to his wife? She gets kidnapped by orcs, tortured, and then she's like, uh, I can never be happy again while I'm in Middle-earth. Goes mm-hmm. to Valinor. Seems like a lot of sorrow to me. But he has some children who he loves, including Arwen, the apple of his eye, who decides to marry a mortal and decides to become mortal and die, <laughs> which Elrond's pretty bummed about, right? So those are like two big peak examples of things that will cause him sorrow. Not to mention like the general fading of the elves and all that. Like That'll kind of bum him out. But uh, I think they—I think that's something that they could be doing potentially—is setting it up so that he breaks his oath, and as a result of that, like mm-hmm. all that other, like tying all those other events to the breaking of the oath. I don't know if I would like that. I don't like the idea that like Arwen choosing the fate of men, you know, is the result of Elrond breaking an oath. I don't like that connection. I think it, you know, is creates uh, symbolic problems for the meaning of Arwen's choice, but. I think they might be doing that. Mm. So we'll see. We'll see. I mean, just a theory that that's it did feel like a very significant moment. A lot of yeah. heaviness. Um, people are saying that they could swear they heard a Balrog scream. Uh huh. And the, that would be woof. I be think something. that I don't. I didn't hear that. You know, I just you know it got maybe it was there. I don't know. It just got lost in the noise. All I heard was the, the rocks falling and all that. But. I do think that if there's a there's a Balrog under there, and Durin says it's very perilous to mine. Well, mm-hmm. why would it be so perilous to mine? I think it's because the the cave or the cave system where it is just happens to be like I don't know above where the Balrog's taking its nap or whatever. So, you know, this is this is all going to tie into the dwarves uh, delve too greedily and too deep, right? Mm-hmm. This is all going to be part of the project that leads to waking up the Balrog. I do think we're going to see Durin's bane awake before the end of this show. I do think that's going to happen. Oh, yeah. I think so, too. Um, I I did like, you know, seeing that friendship more up close and personal, the Elrond and, and Durin friendship. But the, like, the monologue where Elrond's talking, like, I, too, have daddy issues. Oh, you didn't like that? No, I did, but it, it was like... You heartless, heartless. <laughs> no, I oh. did. I liked the delivery <laughs> a lot. Yeah. But, yeah, it was just, like, right on the cusp for me. 
But I do appreciate the storyline. I love, mm-hmm. obviously, like, Disa being so sneaky and, like, lying to Elrond. That that was great. Right. Yeah, so I, um, I've, the immediate takes, like, f- from people online ap- after the episode aired were that that scene was their favorite, like, you know, tear emojis about that exchange and how it's so heartfelt that mm-hmm. all the daddy stuff. It did. I kind of was like more in between. Um, I I really liked it. I did like it, but a part of me felt like I've seen that scene before, like a thousand times over. Mm-hmm. You know, someone's mad at their dad, and his buddy who lost his dad is like, "Well, I would give anything to you know see my dad one more time." Like I've seen that scene a thousand times, and mm-hmm. so this didn't feel like anything new. It just kind of like, well, let's just jam this like well worn trope about you know. Uh, father-son issues and and dead fathers let's just like jam that in here uh, um so I, I didn't i didn't have like this huge emotional reaction to it because i just felt like like felt a little unoriginal i hate to say it but uh, then it was, was well a done nice, but it, it was, was well a nice used, segue but... to get to well our ancestors believe that each time a king yeah. i was going to mention that to you you might be happy that they included yeah that bit of lore in there because that... you knew i was really curious to see what they were going to do with that if they were going to yes. do that at all and what we're referring to, listeners, is that the the it's part of the uh, dwarvish, I guess you could say, religion, part of their belief system, that the original Durin, the father of the Longbeards, is reincarnated mm-hmm. um, every now and then when a dwarf is born that embodies Durin in in mind and body and spirit and soul. Uh, just like it seems to them to be so similar to the original Durin, they name that person Durin, and they believe that okay, Durin has been reincarnated, and this is our king. So they're kind of taking a piece of that. And when Durin the Fourth says, you know, our people believe that when someone becomes the king, all the, I forget what he says, but like all the voices of the prior kings like become a part of him. So that that's an homage. It's a tip of the cap to that interesting mm-hmm. dwarvish reincarnation belief system. And I'm, I like it. You know, I mm-hmm. don't think it's going to be yeah. important. I, don't I think thought it's it was a role, great. But I like that they slipped it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was good stuff. Um, yeah, overall, good, solid middle episode can't wait to see more of okay here's our last segment light or dark so are the darker characters and plot lines more interesting can, to you or the we can't lighter? finish before we before we we got to talk about theo before we finish oh yeah okay let's talk that's a good place to talk about theo yeah and before we get to theo see i'm just going to stretch this out as long as i can <laughs> durin durin and elrond do you think they're going to be like BFFs and and they're all good, or do you think this like tug of war where where Durin's constantly questioning Elrond's loyalty, where Elrond's constantly giving him reasons to question his loyalty, is that going to like go on and on and have like yeah broader ramifications? I think so, definitely. I think that relationship is going to be strained, and maybe ultimately break, which would be really really sad. Yeah. Um. And it wouldn't be, you know, Legolas and Gimli sailed into the sunset. So it would be like a sad thing if they ultimately, maybe they'll ultimately reconcile. But I think there's going to be a lot of drama before. Right, right. I think a I lot's going to go down. So one thing I think is, and I have no idea, they're going to go a million directions, but it wouldn't be interesting if they do ultimately, their friendship becomes so strained that it breaks and they won't speak to each other. But then when they have the battle with Sauron, we know in the books that part of what happens is uh, Elrond is besieged and he's kind of in a corner and then he ends up being saved by the dwarves of Khazad-dûm. I think, I think this whole Durin and Elrond friendship, 
which isn't in the books. It's actually supposed to be Durin and Celebrimbor and Narvi, who mm-hmm. that's the relationship that epitomized the blossoming relationship between dwarves and elves generally. I think they've replaced that with Elrond and Durin because they wanted to build up to this moment when Elrond and his company are saved by a company of dwarves issuing from Khazad Doom. I think they've said, this is our climax. Like, this is one of our climaxes. And this is going to be a payoff of what, you know, a relationship that we're going to play with in the seasons before. So right. I think that's why they switched out, you know, Caleb and Bornarvi with Elrond and Durin, because we're going to see them go through a lot of um, developments and ups and downs. And that's all going to pay off in some way when right. Durin comes out and saves his, his old buddy Elrond. Right. Yeah. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, that's going to be... And thanks for spoiling it for everyone. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, our hot takes are full of spoilers. If you want no spoilers, you can listen to the newbie panel every Sunday. Yeah, but of course, if you're hearing that caution, then you've already been spoiled. So, sorry. <laughs> sorry, not but sorry. But Theo, Theo. Theo. I actually really liked... I had not really cared much about Theo as a, as a character. I just hadn't gotten into him yet. We haven't spent a lot of time. This was an episode where I was like, more into Theo. We saw more of who he is as a character. There's a little heroism there. Yeah, he's a leader. You know, he's. I. I want to help. I can't just sit here. Let and do me nothing. help such an adolescent in a in a yeah. in like such a real way. Yeah, his mom's know? like, please, just please help me and, and do like, what I say. And he's and like, he's like, nah. I'm no, I'm capable. But he wants to. <laughs> yeah, he wants to help. He's trying to ultimately get food for everybody. Right. His friend right. totally sucks. His friend just like piecing out and leaving him. Like, I know. To die. I know. The second something bad happens, and the thing that was bad was a cloud went over the sun. He's like, oh, no, clouds, I'm out of here. Yeah, his friend is terrible. <laughs> um, but I loved, oh, my gosh, the scene so much. I love the orc chase scene. I love him hiding from the orcs and the sort of, yeah. like, documentary-style camera work there. Yeah. Um, I even really liked the slow-mo, again, this tons of slow-mo when the orcs are chasing him and Arondir is like catching arrows and saving him and running away I liked all that um but I really liked the scene where I can't recall the character's name but the older man is like have you heard of him have you heard of Sauron yeah yeah that was chilling that was interesting so that was you know it was that guy's sword that they stole Mm -hmm. and clearly because it's such an important sword which we'll get to that later but he knew that he had taken it Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even think at that point he had seen the scar on his arm. He, I, I, I may be mistaken, but I think he just already knew that he had taken it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was that was interesting, and we did learn a lot more about the sword itself, which mm-hmm. is no mere sword. It was a power forged by, I forget exactly what they said, but it's like you know our master's most beautiful servant who will return or something, which I think is clearly referring to. At first, I wondered if it was like the king in exile, but the, I don't, the orc wouldn't refer lovingly to a human king. It's like, that's Sauron that he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's Sauron. And obviously, obviously, the sword was made by Sauron because it has his sigil on it. And which, it uses blood, human right, blood, to like, that's right. so dark. And now I'm bouncing off like all the walls, but like, why is, does that sword, which was clearly before Margoth's downfall, why was the, that sword have the sigil on it? If that sigil is meant to be a map where people will go after Morgoth's defeat, I mean, maybe he, well, I guess. He branded just, everything. He totally he branded, branded all yeah, 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 yeah. the things. Okay. All right. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, yeah. I thought that was so creepy. Ooh. Like a Sauron worshiper just in their midst. That little yeah. dialogue. 
Yeah. Um, that's, that's, I'm really curious about this sword. I mean, yeah. it, what is its power exactly? And is it going to be tied in some way to, you know, is Sauron gone? Is it almost like a, a Voldemort thing where a he horcrux? needs to be brought back a Horcrux type thing? Yeah. Where the, mm. the sword and part of him lives in the to, sword. Because why is the sword so important? We do also learn that that is the That's thing what they're looking that for all it. the orcs are looking for. Yes. Which we all, people guess that. I yeah. actually did not think that. I was like, why would an, a sword be so important that they, you know, this guy had to, Adar has to mobilize all the orcs to find it. He needs it to exactly return it to is. his full strength or something I, like I, that. I, I would not like that if that's the explanation. It would seem like derivative of the ring and, and, uh, and also copying the whole Voldemort thing, which, of course, originally copied. Sauron in the first place, but um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I just, I, I wouldn't like that. It would be overly simplistic. And I want Sauron to be out there. I think there's a good chance he's out there, actually. He's already working Celebrimbor. I've heard that theory. Yeah, that, that's why Because why does Celebrimbor need it? He's like, I need this this yesterday. I need it by spring. Yeah. yeah. What's the short time frame? They haven't explained that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they're going, they're going fast. I mean, they, we see their progress on mm-hmm, that tower. It mm-hmm, is pretty far along mm-hmm. in like, how, like a few days is, is that I was actually really confused about the passage of time uh, here because I don't care how fast the dwarves and elves work. Like it takes more than a few days to build that much of a tower. Um, it's been more than a few days. It's only been the amount of time that Arendir has been in that pit. Maybe he's maybe, been in the pit a long time. Yeah, I guess it's possible that. Yeah, they just kind of glossed over that. Like maybe he was in there with his elvish buddies for like weeks and weeks, shoveling coal. Um, and he was singing, a pit, I fell into a pit. Yeah. You I don't, fit? Uh... <laughs> have you seen Parks and Recreation? Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, if but they have been presenting this show as like the order in which they're presenting events is chronological. Yeah. Um, I think we're meant to believe that, you know, when we see things happen in relation to each other, that they are happening around the same time. Now, I'm okay with having, like, disparate timelines and, and then playing with that. I just want some indication. Like, I want to be able to go back and rewatch a scene and see a hint that that is what's happening. And I don't think they've done that. They're just right? like, look, so, look what we built. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that whole thing has felt so rushed, but I think more shall be revealed there. Like, yeah. We need to get to know Kellum Brimbor a little better. Yeah. You we know? had a nice little scene between him and Elrond where mm-hmm. he revealed that not only that he knew Arendil, but then all of a sudden he remembered, oh, yeah, and uh, not only did I meet your dad, but he said that my life would be in your hands. I know. That that scene was a little weird. Why would he never have mentioned that he knew his father to that point? Maybe they're not that close. Well, and-, and you would think that would be like a very significant prophecy that he would recall. Although maybe he just like at the in the moment disregarded it, you know, and didn't mm-hmm. think it important which would seem like a bit of an oversight if someone says your life will be in my son's hands. I think you'd keep an eye on that guy's son. Yeah. Well, I think we've covered a lot of ground today. we got to save some for the panels. Again, you know, to every Sunday we have a big party with the wonderful folks at Fellowship of Fans. So please, please, please join us for the live stream, or you can listen here in our podcast feed. We will have those streams here as well broken into two different episodes keep an eye on our twitter of course we will be tweeting out new recipes and new drinks for this coming week and a new artist every week we feature a new artist and we'll raffle off one of their pieces these artists donate a piece and we raffle it off during the sunday stream stream so if you join us during the stream you know throw us a super chat then you may win a beautiful piece of art from some really fabulous Tolkien artists 
So yeah, join us on Sunday. And if you can't join us on Sunday, join us next time and keep an eye on our Twitter for all the, the goodies. I think that'll do it for us, eh? That'll do it. Farewell, and may the wind under your wings bear you where the sun sails and the moon walks. Until next time. 